So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to open up to the book of Romans. If you don't have one, there should be a black hardbound, uh, hardcover copy of God's Word near you. And I invite you to open that up and turn to about page 880-ish. Sorry, I don't know the exact page, but uh, we're going to be flipping throughout Romans. So I don't have an exact page for you for our entire time together this morning. Um, we need to, all, you're looking at the time probably, and you're also remembering uh, how long some sermons go. So let's, let's pray that the Lord would cause the sun to remain still in the sky. <laughs> for uh, a moment, do another miracle that he's done. Not really. We just got to go. We just got to go. <laughs> this is good, though. We have been in the book of Romans, and we're going to see all that uh, Paul has spoken of regarding the resurrection in the book of Romans, and it's rich. Uh, kids, have you ever been building a tower uh, in your house? My kids have Kiva blocks. Uh, little tiles about this big, really skinny. And in the last house, they built a tower that literally went up uh, to the second floor and had to get a ladder on the balcony of the second floor to kind of put the last ones up. But, but one pull of one block down at the bottom made the entire thing come, come crushing down. Uh, adults. And by adults, I mean older kids. Uh, you may not build towers anymore with bricks and blocks and things like that, but oftentimes we build our lives, the tower of our life, in a similar, similar way. We uh, build certain things up, but if one thing is taken out, our entire life is dismantled, it, it seems like. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the Bible testifies that the resurrection is like that block. That if you take that one block away, the entire thing comes crushing down. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, this again is Paul writing this letter. Same letter from which I read our um, Lord's Supper remembrance scriptures from this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this of the resurrection. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And so the resurrection is, is like that bottom block in that tower. If the gospel is this great tower of truths, of good news, then you take away the resurrection and everything falls down. And there's no good news. There's no tower of good news any longer. Or in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Or verse 19, And if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope, in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied. Uh, the resurrection is, is huge. It's so important to our faith. And if you take away the resurrection, nothing else matters uh, in this life. We need to remember that. And I'm not going to spend my short time this morning 
proving to you that the resurrection happened. Uh, I trust that you uh, will take some of the resources that we have for you. We've got these here at the church. Proof, um, a laying out proof uh, of the historical fact regarding the, the resurrection. Uh, it is one of the, if not the most, historically accurate event in all of history. And so I, I'm not here to explain to you or prove to you that the resurrection actually happened. I'm here to speak to us this morning from the book of Romans of what it means for us today. And I want to give you seven life-giving realities of the resurrection. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write these seven down because I'm going to go so lightning speed fast that you're not going to have time to remember all of them. So take notes. And even before I was short on time, my hope was that you would put one star by one of these seven that mean, uh, that, that mean something special to you today. And, and I want you to consider, Christian, which one of these life-giving realities of the resurrection might mean something for somebody you love to be able to share with this week. Because they speak to so many different aspects of our life. One's going to hit you uh, in the right place this morning, I hope and pray. And I hope and pray also there will be another one that would encourage someone else this afternoon around the table that would encourage somebody tomorrow when you go to work uh, or school or, or you reach out to this week through a phone call or text or on social media and share, share this with. So let's consider these together. First one's going to be in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 4. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul opened up this letter saying that he was a servant of Christ Jesus. And then he goes into Romans chapter 1 verse 4 speaking of Jesus and says that He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. First life-giving reality of the resurrection in the book of Romans that Paul lays out for us is that the resurrection declared Jesus to be the Son of God. The resurrection declared Jesus to be the Son of God. And this wasn't something new. This was something, in fact, that had been already told and proven in several different ways. But the resurrection was the, the event, the pinnacle event that proved it. Mary was told by the angel that her son would be called the Son of God. When Jesus began His ministry and He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, it says that when He came up out of the water, uh, the Spirit descended on Him like a dove and the clouds went away and a voice boomed from heaven, God the Father saying, this is My Son in whom I am well pleased. In fact, his entire life, he was questioned and tested. 
Satan tested Jesus by taking him to the top of the temple and said multiple times, if you are the Son of God, then do this, that, or the other. To which Jesus would not do this, that, or the other because he would, do, uh, he, he would show himself to be the Son of God in the greatest miracle, which was the resurrection to come. The demons, when they came face to face with Jesus, do you know what they called him? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, as they say in many other places, the demons said to Jesus, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? The high priests and the religious leaders demanded that if Jesus was the Son of God, to prove it before crucifying him. But he wouldn't prove it before being crucified. He would prove it after being crucified. And when he was crucified, the Roman centurion looked up at Jesus, who had just died and breathed his last, and he said, truly this is the Son of God. Jesus' resurrection declares him to be the Son of God. Jesus is not just a role model or a good example. He's not just one of many. He, his powerful resurrection from the dead by the Holy Spirit declared Him to the world to be the Son of God. This was promised before it ever happened. And when it happened, many would believe and have faith in Jesus for the salvation of their sins. And so we need to hold fast to this truth. This one of many different truths that Paul puts forward in Romans. That's the first. Let's consider the second. Romans chapter 4, verse 22 through 25. Romans chapter 4, 22 through 25. Paul was writing about Abraham. Abraham and speaking about his faith. And that though Abraham wasn't perfect... And though Abraham was going to die, and though Abraham was going to stand before God and be judged, Paul takes the Old Testament truth and repeats it and says that Abraham's faith is what counted him as righteous when he stood before God. It wasn't his good works. Uh, It wasn't anything that he offered to God. It was Abraham's faith that counted him as righteous when he stood before God. That is why in verse 22, it says his faith was counted to him as righteous. Look at verse 23, though. But the words, it was counted to him, that is Abraham, they were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Listen. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, that that was how Abraham got to heaven. He believed. He believed that God was able to do everything that He promised. And it says, no distrust made him waver concerning these things. And so when Abraham stood before God, uh, he would be declared righteous. He says that that wasn't just written for him, it was written for you. Believing that there will be a day when you and I will stand before God. 
And that the only way we will be counted righteous on that day is if we too, like Abraham, have faith in God. That He is able to do what He promised. And He proved in the resurrection that He was able to do what He promised more than ever before. He gave His one and only Son to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead. All of us long to stand in the courtroom of heaven and hear God say, not guilty. Every one of us. Whether we've shoved that part of our heart down and quieted it as much as possible, every single person that has ever lived longs to stand before the Creator in that courtroom of heaven and hear, not guilty. But God says, because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, those who believe in Him will not only hear, not guilty, they'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, well done, my righteous one. Your evil deeds and your undeserving nature will not be seen. You will be declared righteous before God. Christ's perfect life will be given to those who believe. And this is good news. The the life-giving reality is that the resurrection justifies those who believe in Jesus. The resurrection justifies. It declares righteous. It pardons those who believe in Jesus. And this is encouragement we need to hear this morning. The resurrection declares Jesus to be the Son of God, but it also justifies those who believe Jesus to be the Son of God. So the question is, is have you believed Jesus to be the Son of God? If so, know that you are justified before God. Your faith counts you as righteous before the Lord. But Paul goes on. If if I were to have asked you uh, what is one of the major themes in Romans, you might not have put forward resurrection. You might have thought, oh, 1 Corinthians 15, that really is the resurrection chapter. But resurrection is so filled, uh, Romans is so filled with resurrection truths uh, that it could be the major theme of it. One of the reasons why Paul puts forward God's grace and salvation this way. So Romans chapter 5, let's look there. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Since therefore... We have now been, what's the word? Justified. We just saw that truth coming through our faith. And Paul's assuming that some have believed in Jesus and been justified. So now he goes beyond that and he says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, that is the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Remember that, the wrath of God. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more 
Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Think about it. If we were, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we were enemies of God. And through the death of Jesus and the shedding of his blood, we were reconciled back to God. Not to be enemies any longer, but to be friends, children, sons and daughters of God. And if he did that through the death of Jesus Christ, his son, how much more would his son's resurrection from the grave mean that, that we would also be saved from the wrath to come? It's one thing to be justified before God and to stand before Him not guilty. It's a whole other thing to not get the punishment that we deserve, the wrath that is coming. And the Bible is full of mentions of this day of judgment, this day of wrath that is coming. And Paul is putting forward here that Jesus' resurrection means that those who believe in Jesus are not just justified before God, but they'll be saved from the day of judgment. They'll be saved from the wrath to come. The resurrection saves us from the wrath of God. And this is good news for those of us who have been fearful that we would die, Fearful that, we w- that God would return and we would have to stand before Him and face His judgment. This is good news. Because Paul says, not only has Jesus died for you to be justified, but He was raised so that you didn't have to experience judgment. You don't have to experience His wrath. Because God was willing to put forth His very own Son to absorb the wrath of God on the cross. The cross was uh, the display of God's wrath for all of those who would believe. For those who would believe in Jesus, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus that very day. And so we look back to the cross, we look back to the resurrection, and we find hope. Hope that we don't have to stand before God and face His judgment because Jesus stood in our place. We don't have to fear death or God's return for the, the, the day of wrath because the day of wrath for believers was the day that Jesus died. And we don't have to experience God's wrath anymore. This gives us hope when we consider what Easter really means. Uh, This is that so what when we're considering, okay, it's Easter. Well, what does that mean for me? Well, it means for you who believe that you don't have to face the judgment. You don't have to face the wrath of God. The resurrection saves us from it. But Paul goes on. Let's look at Romans 6 and verse 4 through 5. In Romans chapter 6, Paul mentions baptism. We uh, heard a testimony this morning of uh, my friend Marlowe's baptism when he became a believer in Jesus Christ and obeyed Jesus and followed Jesus uh, in baptism. Baptism is like the Lord's Supper that we ate together this morning. Baptism is a picture. 
Uh, there's nothing special about the water, just like there's nothing special about the bread or the juice that we drink. We bought it at Kroger. You could buy it at Kroger. Uh, but there's something special in the meaning. These elements represent something, uh, Jesus' body and his blood. And the picture in baptism is one of death uh, being buried under the water and yet being raised to walk in the newness of life. It's a picture, an outward picture of what's happened on the inside of our hearts because the Bible makes abundantly clear we're all dead in our sins and trespasses and yet made alive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And those who have believed on Jesus uh, ought to then be obedient. And, and many of you have been obedient to the Lord and been baptized publicly. And that's an outward picture of what's happened on the inside. So in v- chapter 6, verse 4, Paul mentions baptism in this picture. And he says in verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, listen, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. The resurrection, note this, offers us new and eternal life. New and eternal life. Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean that we have new life offered to us? Well, since Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, those who believe in Him are offered a new life here on this earth, an eternal life forevermore. Jesus literally died on the cross. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped breathing. Uh, He was taken down from the cross and buried in a tomb only to on the third day be raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father. And then he walked on the earth for 40 days, appearing to many of his family members who didn't believe in him before his death and his resurrection appearing to many of his followers, appearing at one time to 500 people, many of those times not being recognizable uh, in a moment, only upon closer inspection to see his uh, nail-pierced hands and his pierced side did some come to realize it is Jesus. There was a newness of life to him, not only was he raised to uh, walk uh, here on this earth? He had new life in him. And that same life that Jesus experienced after the cross is offered to those who believe in him. Newness of life now and eternal life forevermore. And this probably gives some of you a lot of hope looking backwards at your old life. Maybe you're thinking back uh, to when you were a teenager or in college or a young adult, thinking about the life that you once lived. And if you're a Christian now, you're looking back 
in thanks to God, thanking Him for the newness of life that you now get to experience, that you don't have to live the way that you used to live. You don't have to do the things that you did, say the things that you said. You don't have to be defined even by those things. You don't have to carry that guilt and that shame any longer. You're freed from all that. You're freed and raised to walk in a new life in in a way that you weren't able to do apart from faith in Jesus. And we all know what that felt like, trying to walk in a new life but not having the power to do it in and of ourselves and falling short every single time. But for those of us who have believed in Jesus, we know what it means to walk in a newness of life. And this is good news. Paul would go on to explain it uh, in another way in Romans chapter 7, verse 4. In Romans chapter 7, verse 4, look at God's word there with me. Paul says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Romans chapter 7, verse 4 tells us that the resurrection not only offers us new life and eternal life, but the resurrection binds us to Christ to bear fruit for God. The resurrection binds us to Christ to bear fruit for God. This passage of Scripture, Paul uses the imagery that we are bound to the law when we're born. We're bound to sin. You, you can imagine being in chains, being bound to the law of God and all of the rules and the regulations that show us the holy nature of God and yet the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need for a Savior. We have been bound when we're born to God's law. The demand on us is to live perfectly to that law, but we can't, and we know we can't. And so, upon hearing of the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus did live a perfect life, and yet willingly died on the cross in our place, and was buried, and yet rose from the dead, we can then repent of our own sins and acknowledge our need for a Savior and believe on Jesus Christ. And when we do, we, as the Bible says, we die to ourselves. And so we're no longer bound in chains to the law, expected to fulfill every single law that God gave to His people, Instead, we're, those chains are broken and we have been given the freedom to bind ourselves to another, namely Jesus Christ. And it's His righteousness that we are bound to. And it's Him who strengthens us to be able to bear fruit for God. Apart from faith in Jesus, that passage spoke that we were bearing fruit for death. Even the best thing that we did in this life 
was not done for God's honor and God's glory. It was done in selfishness and pride. And so we were bearing fruit for death. But upon repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus, we can die to ourselves, no longer being in chains to the law, but we can bind ourselves to Christ who perfectly obeyed the law. And He in His strength and by His Spirit enables us to then bear fruit for God. That's part of that newness of life. We're no longer chained to the law, but we're chained to Christ and we can bear fruit for God. We can live a life that honors God. We can live a life that pleases God. We can live a life that brings us joy instead of one that brings us shame and guilt and pain over and over. This is one of the realities that, uh, that the resurrection makes available to those who believe, those of us who have trusted in Him. This is why Paul would go on to say in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've died with Christ And the life that I now, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so we have a new life to live. We have a life that we can live that would bear fruit for God. Paul continues. Romans chapter 8, a couple more. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, consider this truth from the resurrection. If the Spirit of Him, that is God, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He dwells in all who have repented and believed in Him. So if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. Listen. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Another life-giving truth from the resurrection, reality from the resurrection, is that the resurrection guarantees us a resurrection as well. The resurrection guarantees us who believe in Jesus, the Son of God, a resurrection as well. We have already been offered new life, a newness of life right here and right now, an eternal life later, and that's speaking of our spiritual life forever in eternity with God in heaven. But God also offers us a resurrection body, just like Jesus had a resurrection body. Do you realize that Jesus didn't always have a body? He didn't always have flesh. In eternity past, He had no flesh when He was in heaven with His Father, but He took on flesh when He came to the earth and He became the God-man. And He wrapped on flesh as a child in His mother's womb. And he would have flesh forever. He would live on this earth. He would die. He would rise from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he was given a resurrected body. Uh, A a body that, like I said earlier, was not 100% recognizable, but yet the same. 
uh, with, with scars from his crucifixion. He still ate. He still drank. He still walked. He still breathed. And yet he could walk through locked doors and could go from place to place. This is encouragement uh, for all of us who believe that we too will have resurrection bodies one day as well. We won't be floating out there in space, but we'll enjoy new whole bodies to live with God in the new heavens and the new earth. This is especially encouraging to those of you who deal with chronic illness and fatigue and pain or have lost one, loved ones and friends and family members who have battled such things or went through hardship, that those who have believed in Jesus and have gone before us, they will one day have resurrection bodies as well. And, and even if at the moment that they passed, they weren't the way that you wanted to remember them, know that when you see them again, they'll have a, a not only a newness of life, but a resurrection body that will be whole and well, and it won't be groaning like the rest of all of creation is groaning right now. And this ought to give those of us hope who later this week get sick, later this year get a diagnosis that isn't so good. We can face those moments in this life because we know in the next life there will be a body waiting for us that will be whole and perfect to spend eternity with God. Last one, Romans 8.34. Romans 8.34. The resurrection provides us with an inseparable intercessor. The resurrection provides us with an inseparable intercessor. In Romans chapter 8, Paul starts off this great chapter like this in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who've believed that Jesus is the Son of God. There is no condemnation now or forevermore. This is how he begins that chapter, which is why when he gets to verse 34, after telling so many great truths about that, he asks the question, who is to condemn you? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, Paul goes on to say, is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So then he asks in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on to say nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Because Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and he's sitting at the right hand of God praying for you, interceding on your behalf. And so if Jesus, the Son of God, is sitting next to God the Father praying for you to not be separated from Him, trust me, you won't be separated from Him. This is one of the great realities of the resurrection, that we are provided with an inseparable intercessor. Oftentimes, 
we ask other people to pray for us, other Christians, uh, other friends, pastors, uh, people in our group that we meet with throughout the week, and that's good. And that's encouraging, knowing that we have a brother, a sister in Christ, a family member, a friend praying for us. But let me encourage you that you have someone better than me or any of our pastors or any of your group leaders or any of your friends uh, or family members praying for you. Christ Jesus, who's at the right hand of God, interceding for you. So when your pastor falls asleep praying for you at night, you have Jesus, the Son of God, who does not sleep, who does not slumber, interceding for you on your behalf. If it were up to my prayers for you to not be separated from God, you shouldn't have any confidence as much as I want to be a prayerful pastor. But with Christ as your main intercessor, uh, you are unable to be separated from God, and that's good news because he died and because he rose from the dead. But I've got a bonus. Ah, see, this is how it's working. I got a bonus because here's the truth. These are realities for those who have believed Jesus to be the Son of God. These are life-giving realities that the resurrection makes possible for those of us who have believed But if you are here this morning and you've yet to believe in Jesus Christ, those things are not true of you. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. They're true of those who have believed in Jesus. Or if you're here this morning and you've believed, and yet you know someone who's not here who has yet to believe those things to be true, realize these things are not true of them. They don't have that confidence. They don't have that hope. They don't have that ability to be able to live a new life, to bear fruit for God. They, don't, they won't stand before God righteous in His eyes. They'll have to face the judgment, face the wrath. These things are true for those who have believed, which is why Paul, in his last mention of the resurrection, in Romans 1 through 11, specifically in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10, he says, if these things aren't true of you, if these realities are not yours through faith in Jesus, yet might they be today. Might they be today. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The resurrection offers salvation to all who call on the Lord. If you want these life-giving realities of the resurrection to be yours today, believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross in your place. 
confess that Jesus not only died, but he rose from the dead. Acknowledge that you have sinned against him and call on the name of the Lord to save you. And trust him like Abraham trusted him. That he belie- you ought to believe like Abraham did that he believed God was able to do what he promised. And he promised that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I encourage you to do that this morning. The resurrection and those life-giving realities really are that block at the bottom of the tower of the good news of the gospel. You take that away, and you take all of these away. And there's not a believer in this room that would want to give all of the, one of those up, much less all of those up. I'm thankful that the resurrection block at the bottom of that tower is secured by God, our Creator and Sustainer. And it'll never be removed. And so we can trust that these things are true now and will always be true for those who have believed in Jesus. Let just one of those, Christian, encourage you this very day or this week. Take one of those home to share with someone this week that needs to be encouraged or to share with them that it could be theirs if they too would believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose for them. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help? Would you help each of us in our hearts consider these realities this morning? And what I was unable to say this morning, Lord, would you make abundantly clear in your word later this week or even in song and prayer as we close? Lord, would you encourage your church this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Day? Would you encourage us to live in light of these realities? Not falling back into our former way of life. Not falling back into our former identity. Not falling back into fear. But living in light of the truth. Father, I pray that you would make, not only make these realities known to those who have yet to believe, but you would cause their eyes to see, their ears to hear, and their hearts to believe these things once and for all. And that in this moment, you would cause them to move from death to life. That you would give their spiritual heart a beat their spiritual lungs, a breath. Lord, we know what that felt like for all of us who have repented and believed. For our repentance and our faith were our first acts of life. And God, I pray that you would do that work in some this morning and that their first act of life would be repentance of sin, faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died and rose from the dead, 
and that they would begin today walking in the newness of life in all the life-giving realities of the resurrection. Lord, have your way in us this very day. We pray and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.